0: Calling all denizens of the dark, mavens of mayhem, and champions of chaos. Lock your doors and listen close. It's time for another episode of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes. Here's your host, Terrence McCauley.
1: I am Terrence McCauley, and welcome to another edition of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. We're changing things up a bit here today by not having just one, but we're going to have two guests on the show at the same time. One of them is Max Allen Collins. He is an American mystery writer who is noted for his Nathan Heller series and his graphic novels. His work has been published in several formats, and his Road to Perdition series was the basis for the film of the same name. He has written several other series as well, such as the Quarry series, the Nolan series, the Mallory series, the Elliot Ness series, the Dick Tracy books and novelizations for Criminal Minds and CSI, as well as even more work in comic books. Matthew V. Clemens is a writer and our second guest today. He's also a teacher who has co-written numerous books with Max. They have collaborated on more than 30 novels and numerous short stories. He lives in Iowa with his wife, Pam, who is also a teacher. Both of these talented authors have just launched uh, in the past year a special uh, project, if you will, that's called No Time to Spy from Rough Edges Press. Thank you both for being here. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your book? Max, why don't you start?
0: well uh this particular project goes back and maybe maybe uh matthew remembers how far but i'm guessing well decades 2000 yeah we had we were approached i was approached by by a company that had a peculiar notion about how uh how 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 series books would work which was they wanted to do sexy novels about married people and uh, some people might think that's, that's a misnomer, particularly since the married people were were supposed to have sex with each other. And so we got, uh, Matt and I got together and we came up, I had a concept and, and uh, Matt helped me develop it, which was to take, take the guy, take this, take a a retired, recently retired spy who had been the basis uh, for uh, Ian Fleming's James Bond. So this would be a book about the, The real James Bond, but have fun with it. It was a, it was a door into, being able to write James Bond books ourselves, and we weren't trying to do anything realistic really, Uh, and uh, we wrote about, we wrote a couple of short stories that were sort of origin stories that were published, I believe, and then we had we were about halfway through the first book, when uh, the company went belly up, and so. it went into a drawer and then many years later i mean like last a year or so ago during the uh, pandemic uh, was, yeah that's true
2: 2020 when they asked us to do myrtleized um for Wolfpack. okay and, and we were going back through our short stories
0: that that's a that short was, story collection i should say myrtleized is a short story collection oh, right. yeah,
2: and but we had we had those two short stories and I, as i tracked those down going through all my old computer files, I said, oh, by the way, you know we got five chapters of John Sand from this book that never got published. Um, The sexy story guy in around 2000 or 2001 was paying us a dollar (laughs) a word. The two short stories never got published, really. We've got galley copies of the books because that was where the stage where he ran out of money. OK, so there there's probably however many authors were in the anthology. That's probably how many galley copies of that book exist okay. in the world. Um, eventually, those two stories ended up in, in well, one of them ended up in Myrtleized, and maybe one we held back. But we had those five chapters and we started talking about, OK, if we take out all of the cinema stuff. This is a real story. This could be right. a real novel. And Wolfpack was interested in Al's work at that time, and we pitched that as something we would do together, and And Wolfpack said, okay. And so we ended up finishing that novel during the pandemic, and then, God, we outlined and wrote two more in about a year. Wow. Okay. Um, so it, it was a really busy time, but it was the pandemic what else was there to do exactly right
0: the thing about the thing about john sand is that uh the thing that 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 was and is tricky is finding the balance between there's a kind of cute high concept here of like well this is and we never really we never mentioned ian fleming i don't think i don't know that we mentioned bond but it's just kind of understood and fleming Mm -hmm. appears in one of the books, without being, you know, without being mentioned by name,
2: His friend, uh, the famous British author who was on a, was traveling under a pseudonym.
0: Yeah, and and so so there's a uh, there's a sort of whimsical, cute aspect of this. But what we really wanted to do was write the kind of 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 Bond novels that this guy named Ian Fleming wrote, which were right. very tough. Were a little over the top in terms of some of their. You know the the concepts, and so we. Uh, I think we had. I mean, we had a lot of fun with them, but we never took them into spoof territory, or right. you know that because. And some people sometimes reviewed them like we were trying to write spoofs. Believe me, if I was writing the spoof, it'd be a hell of a lot funnier. Uh, <laughs> but we we really wanted to revisit. Uh, those novels i read those novels as a kid Uh um, mm-hmm. what people you know i some people know that i'm i'm you know i i have i was a f- friends with mickey Spillane, and right. i ended up being the guy that mickey asked to, to develop all of his unfinished material after he right. passed and in not in like when i was 13 or 14 years old i was even then the world's biggest mickey Spillane fan well mickey you know, ha- had stopped writing in 1952, stopped writing novels. And so NAL Signet started putting out, they, they needed something to fill the gap because Spillane was their big thriller writer. And right. they, they went to Ian Fleming and they published, even used the same cover artist, they published Fleming as the the British Mickey Spillane. And, oh, that, okay. and that jump-started the whole... You know, Bond thing in in America. Well, I was reading those books, and loving those Bond books. This would have been 1961. You know, I mean, a long time ago, and I was a kid. Um, and I and the the movie Doctor No came out and it debuted. I think a Wednesday or Thursday it opened uh, in the Quad Cities, where 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 my friend Matt lives, Davenport, and I somehow talked my parents into. Driving me to Davenport to see the the opening of this movie of this book mm-hmm. series I was reading, that and I was the only person I knew who knew who, who James Bond was, and I'm sitting there and 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 Connery is like Bond, James Bond, and I was just over the moon with that, and so I uh, ever you know ever since then it's been in the back of my mind, and I wrote I wrote a a, a spy novel in, in high school, which of course thank God never got got sold it. <laughs> but but it's all was always in the back of my mind that i would really like to do that and then i've become a little bit of a uh not not an expert but i, I what one of the things i do is 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 write historical stuff so right. now enough time has passed that you could say well we can write about james bond essentially as an historical novel historical thriller and and, and the idea was uh which which matt and i developed was that as as James Bond got big in the in the culture, this spy that had been based that Bond had been based upon in our world, right, would become known. His cover would be blown. He would Life Magazine would doing stories about him. So basically, what happens is we have him get married the way Bond got married at the end of uh, uh, which one is On it? Under Majesty, Under Secret Service, and right. uh, Lazenby. Yeah, at, at, and at the end of that novel and the end of that that movie where she is killed, that character essentially we we don't use that specific character, but he's married and he's married to a rich woman. And then he gets recruited into sort of a sort of an uncle type of uh agency. Uh, a lot of people don't know that Ian Fleming basically invented the man from uncle. That uh Really? Yeah, and they did and then his publisher and and the and the people the movie people uh forbid him from attaching his name to it. But if you go back and read about it, he was in, he he named Napoleon Solo and he named the Uncle Organization and it was I think basically uh his concept or his fingerprints were were on it. So, and we got a little trouble, didn't we, Matt? Some people criticize us because they think that the man from Uncle kind of thing goes into two uh, yeah,
2: it, it's a, a really fine line we walk because we we sort of, we embraced both Bond and the Man from Uncle and sort of mashed them together, but you have to be careful not to stray into Austin Powers' land. Right, right. And, or
1: my man, our man Flint or something yeah, like even, that. Yeah. Even
2: our man Flint is, that's the, that's the gray area where it's like, okay, if we find ourselves there, we got to back off. Because if we get to Austin Powers' land, We are dead. Yeah, and so it's it's always been. We tried to do it with the tiniest bit of humor, but also we wanted tough guy novels where these guys were close to what Connery was to us. Since I'm Mm -hmm. immensely younger than Collins, I didn't. (laughs) I wasn't allowed to go to. I wouldn't say
0: immensely.
2: It's only younger. I'm, I'm, there's an eight year difference between us. So I wasn't allowed to go and uh, we're both only children. So our parents had to take us everywhere. He got right. to go to doctor. No, I didn't get to go until Goldfinger. But at that point, we were both just like, and we didn't know each other for another shit 25 years after that. And But at that point, it was like we were both smitten with this dream of writing these books somehow. and finding a way and in 2000 a guy who wanted had the worst idea for smut in the history of smut let's write stories where the husband and wife have sex only with each other which is kind of like real life um (laughs) i can't believe he didn't go broke way sooner than he did but it it (laughs) gave us the gift of this character where we went well what if
0: because he had to be married, he had to. And had to yeah, he had to be it, married, and it's like so. Our
2: touchstone became on Her Majesty's Secret Service, right? And from there, we just sort of started playing "What If," which is what we do with everything, and it it grew into three books.
0: Right, and they're very, they're very tough. I mean, the books are, and this is where we kind of the idea that we're sort of like man from Uncle is is silly because uh, you get to that third book. Uh, it's it's it gets grim at times and uh and we 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 also are somewhat real world i mean we've got for example for example uh john f kennedy is a uh, is a character in the books
2: right. and
0: uh at, at spoiler alert kennedy gets killed and in the third book uh we we actually deal with john sand's um feelings of 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 you know of, of of revenge and his right. his is his sorrow because this is this is a a friend of his and kind of his boss because he kind of was kennedy is the guy that gets put, that puts him into this organization that that is is like uh is somewhat like uncle and, right and so he goes i mean he, he it's it's it gets pretty pretty dark
2: there was a, a lot higher body count than i anticipated um a lot of, that happens. A lot of people died, but it was also a case of um uh, over the course of the three books that are included in, in No Time to Spy, uh, we got to revisit things from that era that we, we both loved. We we spent mm-hmm. time with the Rat Pack and Don Wayne and John Kennedy. Uh Liberacci showed up for a little while. And, <laughs> how could he not? Uh, yeah, exactly. But he's gonna go to
0: Las Vegas and not check in with Liberace. I mean, let's
2: and he had a clue that. for and he had a clue for Don Sand. Um, but it, it was a chance to do a a touchstone to to the things we loved about the 60s, but also the history. Uh, Sand witnesses the assassination of Trujillo in the Dominican Republic. Um, okay. he, he is at the Ich bin Ein Berliner speech in Berlin. Uh, and stops somebody from attempting to assassinate Kennedy then. Um, There are are enough holes in the history 50 years later where we had room to play. Right. And that's all you can ask. You just need um, a seed of doubt about a specific event that gives us the ability to go in and wait around and play with it and turn it into something that we can use. Right. You
0: know, you the, give a, uh, I'm sorry. I was going to say, there's a you know when we bring somebody like Liberace in, I mean, yeah, there's a twinkle in our eye when 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 John Wayne turns up or something like that. So so we're not you know these these aren't grim books by any any means, but they're they're mm-hmm. definitely not silly books. Uh, and uh, we we even explore his wife is a uh, an oil executive and. Mm-hmm we really actually explore that whole area of, of uh, you, you know, she, she's looking into in, into farsightedly uh, environmental concerns. And I mean, there, there's a lot of reality and, and fun in these books, that's connected to, to, to the real world. And you, we always say, Matthew and I always say that between the two of us, we kind of add up to one smart guy. <laughs> either, either one of us would uh, on our own would not would not be smart enough to do some of this stuff but uh but we do you, you know we do mesh well you don't write 30 books with somebody by accident
1: exactly and that's what's going to be my next question i was going to i'm always fascinated when people have writing partners and write successfully with each other you've done it uh, both of you frank Zafiro, who i've interviewed has done it with eric Beatner and I'm just wondering what, do, what is each of your styles and how do you complement each other in so many
2: projects? I've told people for years, it's like jazz. I know what his strengths are and what my weaknesses are. Right. I know I need to write a placeholder dialogue because Al's going to write killer dialogue on top of it. And so... There are places where I get to solo. There are places where he gets to solo. But the thing that that we have always talked about is that in working together, it's not his voice. It's not my voice. There is a voice that is the voice of each particular novel. Mm -hmm. Um, We've worked on enough different kinds of projects together, beginning with CSI, uh, where he basically brought me on as a researcher god fifth show into the series uh they called al and asked him if he wanted to do books on a show he had never seen but he knew i watched okay i I also had done true crime at that point and so i had i had a forensic cop i could go to and say can you help us we want to get the science right Mm -hmm. and so we started meshing learning how to mesh together there
0: well, literally, what I don't know if you even remember this, Matthew, but I had him. Uh, I he was really coming on board just to do the forensics, and the and so really early in in first CSI book, I don't know, chapter two probably. Uh, it was a crime scene, and mm-hmm. I just said, just take a run at the crime scene chapter, and cause, cause you're you know because I don't know any of that stuff and so he delivered the he delivered a rough draft of the crime scene chapter and i just thought well he should be doing this with me and and that's when i that was when uh, you were originally invited aboard to be the researcher yep and then i just said and of course we had written some short stories together so i knew i knew how well he wrote and so so then we uh we began plotting them together Mm -hmm. and um very, very rarely have I ever sort of completely rewritten him. Uh and he <clears you> know, <throat> I work with my wife if and now I, I, I get to sleep with my wife, Matthew will not let me sleep with him.
2: We talked <laughs> I, about it, but it's, it's not gonna
0: work. It's never it's never I've never been able to go, you know, he, he won't go that far with me. But not past uh, the planning stage. Turns,
2: turns off with the line. But Who my wife and I
0: have done have done eighteen novels, have done eighteen novels together. And uh, we I have a similar process with with Matthew which is deliver me a a rough draft that is about 50 pages shorter than what we're supposed to deliver so i've got room to to move i've got room to expand and and also you can say Well, my wife will do a thing where she says fight scene here, you know. And because she's she's like, why should I take a run at that when he, you know when he does right. that all the time? Uh, but I, Matthew never goes that far. But he like you know. But
2: he, I, I I write dialogue where I don't spend a lot of time on it because I know he's going to make it better no matter what I write.
1: Right, right. I would imagine so. Yeah, I so mean, it, uh, that's it's
2: just going to be. A, I know it's a placeholder. Mm-hmm. This, is, <coughs> pardon me, I give him essentially in dialogue form the thoughts that i want expressed and then he does it better than i do well
0: that's, right. kind, of, that's kind of you to say really uh, I, I you know i have some difficulty with uh not i've also collaborated with one of the really fun ones is with dave, dave thomas from SCTV. he and i did okay. a book last year uh which is a science fiction tinged a suspense novel called The Many Lives of Jimmy Layton. And uh, I ran into the same problem with him that I run into sometimes with with Matthew. And that is that I am sometimes not good at figuring out spatial relationships, let's say, like I, I, I have to really be guided through like, the building is here, the parking lot is here. The door we're coming out of. I mean, really simple stuff. Now, if I'm doing it myself, I don't have any trouble because I'm seeing Right. But, but wouldn't you say, Matthew, that is one of the biggest problems I, we have? I have had to draw pictures. And, and I'm about guy mm.
2: stick figures have scoliosis. It's <laughs> really not good. But I have to draw these diagrams to say this is the third window on the fourth floor. And John Sand has to climb the side of the building to get there.
0: And it's this side that he has to
2: climb. And, no, not and, the other side, because that's the front. Right. Right. People people will see him. So here it's this wall, and then you end up doing basically a, a Lego build of the entire building and going here, Al, this is it. Uh, that that is
0: my weakest area
2: in the it, Once he gets it, it works. I mean the, the worst scene was the stable.
0: Yeah, that was uh, tricky.
2: We had we had a stable where the, the stalls faced each other okay uh the doors for the stall for the horses to leave were on the outside and i had john sand on the inside wall listening to what was going in in the stall going on in the stall opposite him okay and i literally had to draw it with pen and paper to get it to where al could figure out what i was seeing in my brain because i would send right. him pictures even that i had taken from the internet of models of that table and he'd be like yeah but what about the other side and uh, that, took a, that scene actually took us a couple days, and, but once he got it, he blew through it, and the scene, the scene, by the time I read the final draft, was like, well, crap, that's exactly what I wanted, and it worked out great. And then wow. he, brought, he brings details to it that I hadn't seen. We each see these scenes just slightly differently enough right. that the details become enriched in two different ways.
0: I, yeah. I get criticized uh, sometimes, uh, actually fairly frequently, I get criticized for being too detailed about uh, clothing and setting. Uh, and particularly with, with, I would say, younger readers who are not patient. Uh, because my stuff actually moves pretty fast. But I, But I really want to be grounded. First of all, I want to know where I am Mm-hmm. This is why we have these, Matt and I have these conversations and, and he's put through the, the maps and the diagrams and so on. I need to see it in my in my brain to make it real to me and clothing to me and, and when we're doing John Sand and it's, it's in the 60s, mm-hmm. that's, you know, that's part of the color of the, you know, of the times, but I, I want to know I want to know who these people are. And and a way to know who somebody is is what are they wearing? Right. And you okay, they live in an apartment. What's the apartment like? I mean, look at my look at my background. Look at Matthew's background. You know we're nuts now. (laughs) Yeah, that's
2: absolutely true. And
0: and and that's and, and and so and when I have people and I always tell people, hey, skip if you don't if you don't need any description, skip it. Just right, get, yeah, you know, skim we- it, skip it. But but for me, uh, particularly at the beginning of a scene, I I, I you know I've, I've got that. A lot of times I do that Hitchcock thing about starting, you know, st- starting general and getting specific. Where right. you you start on you start on the outside of the building and you, or you start on you start on the view of the city and you start and you you come in and you see the building and then you see the floor and you see the window and then Janet Lee's taking her clothes off.
1: Right, right, right? exactly right. Yeah, it, it closes in that way. Do you have a, um, of all of the various eras that you've written about in all the types of fiction that you've done, Do how do both of you feel about uh, your favorite era? Do you have a favorite era that you both enjoy working on? Is it modern day? Is it you've written stuff in the past? What is, uh, do you have a specific that you uh, prefer?
0: Matthew?
2: if i had a specific one it would be boring um the current one i mean that's the the obvious answer right whatever we're working on now is my favorite uh we we have actually talked about doing a pirate book at some point just because we never have right and i'm at that age where never have is something i like to alleviate Uh, right I, i don't really want to be pigeonholed into you get to write this for the rest of your life so Mm -hmm. um i'm doing i'm in the middle of a western on my own so i'm I'm enjoying that time period and i set it near my hometown in iowa because it's a part of the old west that gets ignored
1: exactly right yeah a lot happened there
2: and yeah everybody who crossed the mississippi came through my hometown if they didn't go through st louis and so it's. It gave me a way to learn about my town, so I'm enjoying that. Um, but we've been doing research on a pirate thing, and I'm I'm enjoying reading that. I've always been a history guy. And my mother taught me to read. I never did Clifford the Big Red Bug or any of that. Uh, mm-hmm. Before I was in kindergarten, my mother was reading me history books. I would sit next to her and follow along, and so history has always been thing for me um i enjoyed the hell out of the 60s though when right. we when we were doing the john sand books and i would love to do another one of those um, that was a fun period right
0: yeah. yeah i would imagine,
2: I would I, imagine I that.
0: excuse me i need to take a break sure I mean, i'll uh, be right back i'll be right back no you don't need... here we go well i yeah I, a funny thing has happened for me because i i just delivered the the next Nathan Heller novel, which is about the the uh, Robert Kennedy assassination in 1968 and my wife and I were married in 1968 we were literally in Chicago uh, on our honeymoon when Robert Kennedy was was killed So, so that had a big impact on on me then well. I was already starting to write i already had at that point had written the first nolan novel it hadn't sold yet but i'd already written it and so when i started doing the nate heller books and the writing was in 1981 i was writing about 1933. okay and I, and i've come up through the years and i've jumped around a bit but now i find myself writing about 1968 1969 when I was around when I was alive. Right. Uh, and and I have living memory of, you know, Robert Kennedy being killed. And I and I did two books about the Kennedy assassination, the JFK assassination. And of course I was in high school then and I remember that. Uh and so so I go from writing these period novels that that go into like, well, you know, when my my dad was a kid, right? Right. And now I've, I've, I'm almost lapped myself, right? I mean, I'm, I'm now up to, to where it's in my living memory. And so I have written about the 20th century. And I would say, while I'm on board with this pirate book, if we can ever get it going, Matthew, I mean, I'm a 20th century guy. And right. I, I, I don't, I don't, I, and it's funny, because when I was doing did the Dick Tracy comic strip, which I did for 15 years. It was all about writing about contemporary crimes, you know. I and I prided myself about being, like, I'm the first person who's done video piracy. I'm the first person who's done, you know, various crimes that hadn't gotten into TV and movies yet. Right. So, it was, and the Ms. Tree comic book that I did, Ms. Tree was always about con- contemporary crimes. So mm-hmm. I had a very there was a period of my career in the 80s and 90s where I was 70s, 80s, 90s. Where I really was—that was the thrust—was that I was doing contemporary stuff. Well, now I'm—I rarely write about. Uh, lately, I rarely have been, have been writing about anything but but the 20th century, and, mm-hmm. and I, I'm not—I don't really feel like a 21st century guy. I—I I mean, I can do it. We did that certainly did that in in the CSI and the criminal. Well, Mind we did
2: it. Was. We did it with Reader and Rogers too, where we yeah, did a a trip We did a trilogy that began with the presidential election of 2028. Okay. And suddenly that seems a lot closer than it did when we were writing those books back. Uh, We had overturned Roe v. Wade in 2014. Um, That was the first book we started assassinating Supreme Court justices. Okay. in, In a book called Supreme Justice. That was the first book in the trilogy. And then it was a megalomaniacal m- billionaire who wanted to be president, and that was 2015. And then we decided we didn't want to write these books anymore because things were getting it, weird. They kept coming right. through, <laughs> and it was like if we write a fourth book, I'm I'm going to have to move to like Luxembourg to get some peace and quiet. Right? Isn't they, it
1: funny when you get these criticisms that your stuff is too far out there or? That couldn't happen. I remember when I wrote uh, the Moscow Protocol part of my university series last year, some people called me, uh, sent me emails and said, oh, you have the uh, North Koreans having uh, precincts and spy uh, entities in San Francisco. That had never happened. And then you read the news. Yeah, (laughs) exactly right. It's it's a little bit rewarding when you get one of those kind of negative reviews and you get proven right, isn't it?
2: also is it's like okay um way too much of this stuff has gone past where we thought we could go that was too weird Mm -hmm. and it's like okay political thrillers are sort of off the table for us because reality has outstripped
0: us yeah i just i wouldn't even be where to begin now well Um, i'm having i'm having something that I've just started to, to to wander into which has been kind of interesting which is the, the series that i began when I was basically in college or in my early marriage uh like nathan Heller, for example i i have aged him i have you know, that, that's a decision you have to make when you do a series mm-hmm. so so he is in his sixties in the in the current you know in the last in the last novel that I wrote it. Which will be out next year, uh, and I wrote a a quarry novel. The quarry novels were started when I was in college, and right. I wrote a quarry novel where he was basically because he's always been my age, right? I just faced it. I he's he's over seventy in this novel, right? And uh, and so so writing about these characters at an older age both me as as an older writer and the and the character as an older character has been very interesting and i kind of wondered whether people would accept that Mm -hmm. Uh, i know i have there's there's a line in in in, uh quarry's blood which is the book that where quarry is about 70 years old where he's he's trying to find out who who tried to kill who tried to kill him he's going back through some of his earlier adventures Mm -hmm. to check up what happened in this case twenty years later? What happened in this story twenty years later? And at one point he says he's on a geriatric sex tour <laughs> because <laughs> because you don't I can't do a quarry novel without a sex scene or two, you know. But uh, so and I really can't think of other writers with series who've really done that. And I, I'm sure there are, but I always think about like Rex Stout. He would do things like have people from early cases show up who have aged, right? And, and Archie and and Nero wolf haven't aged, right? They're the same age throughout. And the he, you just and he just and I like I love that about him. It's like he just like deal with it. Right. <laughs> this is what I'm doing. These are my characters, and so I accept that, right? You know, there there there's a very there was there was a time where Harold Gray and Little Orphan Annie showed little orphan annie uh doing her laundry and she had a uh you know she had the laundry line outside it was all the little red dresses like she had 60- 60 <laughs> so he just said guys this is absurd we all know this is absurd but get on you know but if you get on board you're on board so just right. and and i think every writer has to make these decisions about doing a series what do i do do i do I age them a little slower? Do I, you know, uh, because if you're writing about a character that you created in, say, 1980, well, not in 1980 anymore,
1: right? Unless you set the story in 1980. But if you're going to keep it modern, which you then, can yeah. do,
0: which you can do, and I've done too, and I did, and and that that's what happened with Quarry. I had done four novels about him, and again, it was when I was in high, in in college, and they. That was it they dropped the series and right. i went on about my business like we all do as as professional writers and then it, a kind of a little bit of a cult thing started happening with him where i was getting mail of course don Wesley said to me one time uh a cult writer is seven readers short of being able to make a living Right. <laughs> and, and, i like that and but but it was something was happening, and then I I I had some success with True Detective, the first Nathan Heller book, and I was and I I, I and I had a publisher say, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to do another quarry book. So I did I I did another quarry book, and that was and then it got a little attention, but it went away. Then years later, Hard Case Crime happened, right? And Hard Case Crime was I was I was I think the only living author they approached. They were doing. Earl Stanley Gardner and and they eventually and they 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 did Westlake, like I don't know whether Don was still alive at that point, but they were doing older writers. I
2: don't think so. Uh, I don't think he was. Don passed not long after I met him, and that was in the nineties, I think. Early two thousands. Yeah, so, it would be the early
1: two thousands,
2: because yeah, So they so came, up you know, they came
0: to me and and wanted to reprint a couple of the Nolan books. That had been out in the you know been out in the early eighties in the seventies and eighties, and when they came back after they did one reprint, they came back to me and said, "Now we we want to talk about to doing other reprints." I said, "I'd rather do new ones. Just pay me what you're yeah. paying me for the you know the reprint rights, and I'll do new ones because I this is this is what I do." And so, so I I wrote one. I thought I'll I'll end the quarry series, right. And I call, and the book was called "The Last Quarry," and he was older, right. And then it sold well, and we got really good reviews. And um, I was standing in in a in, in a buffet line at an MWA thing at a Okay. And I was with the editor Charles Ardai, and he turns and he says, "Well, it's really too bad you ended that series with the last quarry." And I said. How about we do one called the first quarry? And then not? I started, I started right I started filling in the you know, I started filling in the blanks. I wrote about him because in the first book I wrote was the end of his kind of the end of his career as a hitman. So I went five years back. Then mm-hmm. I then I wrote about the span of time that nobody asked me to write any quarry books. And and just filled it in. And then kind of I recently caught up and and him and now I've done one with Quarry who's 70, 71 years old. Okay. Uh, I've had a very unusual and blessed career. And I, I think what some writers don't know is that, you know, it's really great to be Harlan Coburn or one of these guys that makes huge, huge money. The thing I think some writers don't understand that is if you don't have a huge success, uh, you know, then but you're successful enough that people want more books from you Mm -hmm. you really it really opens the door to more creativity on your part i mean i i would not want to have god bless robert b parker but i would not have wanted to write that many spencer books in my life uh and and frankly he eventually got frustrated and he started doing some westerns and he he, you know he did a few other things
1: jesse stone yeah but yeah. if you, if you, if, you have,
0: if you have that kind of demand for uh, a character, well we can go back to we can, we can go back to Conan Doyle, can't we? The frustration mm-hmm. that, that he had he, he he was absolutely positive that those historical novels of his were what we're going to endure. So, so that just shows when none of us know what what we're talking about. But I think from the satisfaction of being a creative person, and that's one of the things that we've had a lot of fun with. Matt and I have never really gotten pigeonholed. Right. We've done science fiction. Uh, we've done all kinds of stuff.
2: And political thrillers. And, but we've always had freedom to do what we want. Right. And that's, creatively, that means that there's, there's no, people say, I think outside the box. We learned a long time ago, there's no box. There is no box. No, you're right. So we just whatever thing interests us at any given moment becomes fodder for, hey, can we can we turn that into something? Mm -hmm. And we just keep bouncing around writing things that we find interesting. And so far, other people have found them interesting, too, at least to some extent. Sure, sure. Neither neither of us has starved to death yet.
1: Thank God. Thank God! No, and, and there's there's plenty of material out there for you. I was wondering what it was like taking on an iconic character like uh, Mike Hammer, because earlier we were talking about aging characters, and I believe you aged him a bit in uh, some of your collaborations with Mickey Spillane.
0: Yeah, Mickey. Um, Mickey always kind of never never admitted to him being older than in his forties, even though he always again this is the Rex Stout thing, where he would also refer to him being a combat veteran. And he, he, when it gets to be past the year 2000, and you're writing mm-hmm. about Mike Hammer, and you're talking about him having been in combat in, in World War II, you know, the, the timeline gets a little weird. Uh, what I, I was in a unique situation with the with Splane this, with this project, because I was able to, basically everything was turned over to me from his mm-hmm. files. And Mickey, because of, there's various things we don't need to go into, but for various reasons, he had a lot of false starts on things. And where he'd start something and like, for example, he had a hundred pages of one and he was behind deadline and he took an old book off the shelf that he had written in the forties and turned it in instead. And then he didn't return to the book that he started. Um, and, and And there are a lot of reasons for why he didn't. Why he didn't complete things, some of them having to do with his Jehovah's Witness religion that he they became involved in that okay. frustrated his ability to be able to do the kinds of sex and violence stuff that he was famous for and was expected of, of him. But I had I had manuscripts dating to literally 1945. Wow. I, my camera before I the jury to for example, King of the Weeds, which was he conceived as the last Mike Hammer story until he got the idea for the Goliath bone and put it aside. So I had him and then there's there was stuff from the 60s, there was stuff from the 70s, and there was stuff from the 80s. So I made the decision to try to figure out when these things were written. Sometimes there was a date on some of the stuff, and then basically always write Hammer. in as he would be at that age okay and and then also where was mickey mentally at that point point? and, right. and trying to kind of because i i always had a lot of times i had like a hundred pages i mean it i had a good good substantial material and and if i didn't i might have 40 pages that's still a lot of pages and mm-hmm. i could get into the i could get into the vibe of where he was at at that time and I i I think a couple of things, I've been very successful with with the spoiling stuff. And I think the reason for it is that I didn't ever, I've never tried to write like Mickey. I just do write like Mickey kind of when I get when you I try to do my camera's character faithfully. Mm -hmm. And if you write my camera's character faithfully, you're gonna write like Mickey's point. Right, because it's first person, and so that was that was part of it and then um I always feel like i took i I read Spoin when I was twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. That's when I became obsessed with him, so I took him like vitamins
1: mm-hmm. so i, I
0: he, he he's he became molded to my DNA. So I don't have to try and and people never understand that I was not intimidated whatsoever about this project. Mickey believed in me. He picked me. I don't I don't doubt him. And I and and then I always had stuff by him. To spark off of I tell you the one time I got intimidated was fairly early on I think it was about the fourth book. I had a a pretty good chunk of manuscript maybe 70 pages right and of a three you know if you're looking at a three that's a good chunk of a 300 page manuscript let's say right right there was no first chapter so I had to write the first chapter of a my camera novel and it was a novel that he had done it was the novel is Lady Godai. it's called a pun on Lady Godiva okay and, yeah and it was the second Mike Hammer it was his follow-up to either jury that he put aside when he got at that point and started over. And I had to write like prime time Mike Hammer first, and you know how good his first chapters are. I mean, this is the guy who did the first chapter of One Lonely Night. This is the guy who did the first chapter of Kiss Me Deadly with the the woman runs in front of the car. Holy shit, I have to write a first (laughs) chapter? no pressure and 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 that was the one time and, and and of course i didn't i waited i mean it would have been a natural thing for me to say to come right at, out at the beginning and say here's 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 the sequel eye of the jury mm-hmm. and that would have been a uh, i think you could have got some good publicity off of that but uh, I, that was the one time where i was like i'm not ready yet and so i did i did three novels of his other novels that he had good 100 page chunks Uh, right like the big bang was uh, there was 100 pages and uh kiss her goodbye was interesting from a writing standpoint you I think you'd been very interested in this he had he had taken two runs at it with two different he he knew what he wanted to do thematically but he he did two different stories okay okay it began the same way and then he went two different. And so what I did, I looked at these, like, what do I do with this? I shuffled the deck. I said, okay, let's make it one story. And then I had something like 150 pages of, of, of Mickey Spillane. And this was never about me. This was about completing his work. This, this 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 is like, I put him on a level with, and I know not everybody does, but to me, he's he to me, it's Hammett Chandler's point. That's it, right? That's private eye fiction. And uh, yeah, Ross McDonald. Cool. I mean, yeah, yeah, you know, there's some really good people, but it all flows from those three guys, every single thing flows from those three guys. And I'm, I'm finishing the work of one of them. Yeah, that is so special. And, and I'm never going to be, you know, I'm never going to get first billing on a Mickey's Blame book. No, but, and, you know, you know and
1: I don't want it. I don't want well, Yeah. It. I was just about to say that. Yeah. Because at least, and, and you're lucky that despite all of the books that you've written, you can appreciate the position that you're in, that you're able to do that. And you haven't gotten jaded by the process at all.
0: Well, I've been lucky in that I have, I, and part of it has just been I've been trying to make a living. But man, I talk about this all the time. I mean, we're we're we're, we're kind of blue collar writers, if you get right down to it. Mm-hmm. And and I've never been in a position, even in my best year, like the road to perdition year, where I you know I had a hundred thousand dollar check. Basically, I'm I'm you know I I'm just trying to make a living every year. I'm trying to make a living. And 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 you know so, I don't have that. I don't have that luxury of, of of not producing. Well, because of that, I have had enough. I mean, if if you took Mickey Splain out of my, my work, there'd be plenty left, and yeah. I would have. I would have a reputation. Yeah. I mean, if anything, I'm probably damaged my reputation a little bit by, I I think the fact that I've done, um. Well, the work I've done with with Matthew, uh, right? You know that that we did. How many CSI books did we do? Eight or ten? We
2: did all. We did eight for CSI, two for CSI Miami, but we also did a dozen jigsaw puzzles and four or five graphic novels, and we just did a, a ton of work because it was easier to hire us than to vet new writers. Right. Because it was a there's a production company and a publishing company and the networks involved, and it just became easier to okay, those two guys got vetted to do the books, hire them. And so there was, at one point, we had put more words in Bill Grissom's mouth than Anthony Zyker. And that was kind of cool, but it it was also like, oh, you guys are tie-in writers. No,
1: you're not. You've done more than just tie-in.
2: But we had done, we did CSI and CSI Miami, and then it was... uh, dark angel criminal minds uh we did one book for bones before she smartened up and went wow that's my money character that we can't let anybody write that again but we did uh, we did like 17 tie-in novels and all these jigsaw puzzles for ncis and ncis la and csi and those people liked us and hired us and it was easy money because it was a week's work for us but it was you get that Stigma of, oh, they they write for money, right? But you know what?
0: Also, Matthew, remember, I mean that was the job. But but remember, we also got on the New York Times and USA Today. Yeah, yeah, people like this stuff. And the only time I've been, I've been on the on the New York Times probably half a dozen times, but. The only time it was really kind of me was Road to Perdition because I because that is my property. The rest right. of the times I was on I was like I was on for Saving Private Ryan. I was on for American Gangster. Uh, we were on USA Today five times, I think, for for criminal or no, for uh for CSI. CSI. and you don't think I put that on my covers? You don't know well, I, remember right? I mean, I I like about my that? Resume, but yeah. it was like
2: i before before i was a writer i worked in a factory for 14 years and so i have understood i've come i've come at writing with that mentality and i have understood since the very beginning that my job is production right and i'm i'm not in sales i'm not in supervision my job is production and that's just the way i've always approached it so it has been it has been easier for me to deal with the fact that, okay, 2000 words a day, six days a week. That's what I do. And as I've aged, I've gotten a lot lazier, but it's a case of that was when we were doing CSI and all of that stuff, we figured out we were turning out product for them every 90 days. Right. Um, That was a fairly hectic schedule for about six years. And, but it was a ton of fun, but it was just like, Okay, it's Sunday, my work week starts, and you do right. your work count for six days. And then on Saturday, my wife gets to have me do whatever the hell she wants. <laughs> that's when I do all of the honeydew stuff and everything, and then it's back to work on Sunday. Um, right. The schedule's not that hectic anymore, but my mindset hasn't changed. This is – and Al's always had this because that's where I learned it. I learned it from right. being in the factory and watching him and Bob Randizzi and James Reasoner and all of these guys who got up every morning and went to work because that's the job.
1: Exactly right, exactly right. And that re- brings me to a question first from Matt and then Max, I'll ask you the same one. How do you keep your creativity fresh since you're both so prolific in your own right and working together? Um, I know you put the work in, I know you work every day, but how do you keep that creative spark alive? Do you read a lot? Do you watch movies?
2: Uh, not, as much, not as much as I used to. Um, a lot of people tell me about stuff, or I I will trip over things that uh, that will interest me. I've always said that the, the two most important words to a writer are "what if," and so I would use I used to daily. I would go to breakfast and read the USA Today because there's always a seed. Um there's always a seed for something and um I get uh you you've, your Facebook friends with Larry Swayze do you know him oh yeah
1: yeah he's a great guy
2: uh Larry's my brother and Larry will tell me we watched this and I, you need to go watch that and then maybe that'll set something off Al's telling me what he's been watching so you sort of learn about things that way but it's a big world with a lot of stuff. It's not that hard to find ideas. It's just hard to go at, at this point. Uh, Al and I are both having issues with health that are slowing us down a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't been sleeping for about three years, and now that I'm finally on the right track, it's like I'm finally feeling the itch again to get back to a more diligent schedule. Sure. And so it's like there's there's always stuff out there in the world that is. That's like, hey, look at me! I could turn into something, right? And right. yeah, and then we sit down, and when once we sit down together and go, "What if?" Well, then stuff just bounces. It's it's like a game.
1: Yeah,
2: right. You feed off each other. What about you, Max? Yeah.
0: Well, interestingly, I think uh, I, I had been a voluminous. Mystery reader, particularly of what they now call noir, that we we called hard boiled, and I for a long time, all I ever wanted to do was be a a writer of private eye fiction, basically. Mm-hmm. And then when I started publishing in the in the in the early 70s well, it would have been around, yeah, would have been seventy two, seventy three. I I found out that if i was reading something and it was of any uh, a a mystery novel a suspense novel uh, i remember george v higgins who wrote uh the friends of eddie coyle right I, i was reading him and digging it and then his style started creeping into my work and i started writing dialogue like george v higgins dialogue yeah. And I and, and I had this realization that I was enough of a natural mimic that I, I i better not read much in my field anymore. And so I I cut back to only reading people I'd already been reading, like N McBain, who was still publishing at that time, right. you know, Stout. And there's these people mm-hmm. that were still and when I started out, a lot of these people, Agnes Christie was still publishing. So right. you know, yeah. i I was I still read that stuff, if Mickey, re- so, but I stopped reading contemporary stuff, unless I was on a awards committee, which I right. would do now and then, which was a kind of a way to keep up, like if every five years or so I'd read the, the award books, then I get a sense of what where are we, and if something like really hit, you know, I read a bit, quite a bit of Stephen King when he first started out, just, I, you know, you kind of have to know what's going on in the field. But beyond sure. that, beyond that, I, I I'm more toward. I'm always doing historical research, so that's the reading I'm doing. Yep. Mm-hmm. And and then there's and and, and movies are always and I've been writing all day, which is a lot like reading all day. Right. So I watch a movie in the evening, which my wife and I still do. TV, and and sometimes that tells you what's going on. That 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 will tell you, for example, uh, the the whole. Nordic noir thing, which led to our novel, uh, What Doesn't Kill Her, which was what doesn't kill her was that Matt and I did together was Let's Do the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, but an American version. Okay. And, and I never read any of those books. I just saw that. I just had seen the TV show. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and the same with Wallander. Wallander, I think, informed my series. I did two books called The Girl Most Likely and The Girl Can't Help It. And that really comes kind of out of Wallander, but it comes out of the TV series, not the, not the books, not, not the books, right? Just because I mean, and it was, and when I say it comes out of it, it was like, well, there's an interesting father-daughter thing going on here, mm-hmm. you know. And then thinking about, well, if I'm going to do something that's similar to Nordic, then maybe I should do it in a small town. And so I looked, I looked at Galena, Illinois, as a Uh, And then, then it only grows like, for example, you go, uh, we looked at Galena, and my wife is helping me. And Galena is a town of like 3000 people that has like a a million point five visitors every year. And they've got a little police force that that can can have like hundreds of 1000s of people in town. I thought that was interesting. And so these things lead you know the the, i think that's what happens is and this is what matt and i do when we i mean we for a long time would go to an applebee's in muscatine iowa and sit in a corner booth and talk about murder and 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 people around us would be looking at at us no
2: seriously if we decapitate him how much blood is there going to be yeah absolutely and and the, the lady who's having the artichoke salad behind you pardon not that was that my outside voice sorry
0: and then they, they stopped seating people
2: near us after they did that.
0: they literally did because other they got tired of explaining that we weren't serial killers <laughs> uh, and, and <clears throat> you know and, and and i think that matt and i have a really good time in those sessions too because
2: it's playtime it it really is it's mental legos you build this thing from you'll have a brick and then that'll get me to add a brick over there and then pretty soon we have a building
0: yeah well how many times matt have you said to me oh that's that's sick that's that's we're using that i love that i love that (laughs) yeah,
2: that that's about the sickest thing I've heard you say in a really long time. I see that in chapter seven. Right. And it's just yeah, we yeah, absolutely we gotta do that. But it is uh it just becomes playtime and it is it's more fun than most things we do in our lives. Right, um, right. And it's a well, yeah, keyboard and do the actual work the rest of the time is once we get done with this part, then we get to go play again at the Applebee's. Well, the, right.
0: thing, the, the thing is that that, that when you take two, this is the thing about collaboration you should not collaborate if two plus two doesn't equal five it's got to be it, it you, it's got to be more than either one of you could do by yourself yeah. don't don't bother but if you can sit down with somebody creative and you you, you know you're trying to with Matt, i may be trying to gross him out or i'm I I the 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 whole thing is is like not topping each other exactly but if I We're can try trying, trying to climb the ladder together but if I can excite you yeah then I cuz you, you know you've seen it all if I can excite him and and he sits forward you know I'm like okay I think I think that was worth bringing up in conversation you know The
2: thing is we we're both of a certain, I mean, we're 140 together. That's right. <laughs> and so there's been like just this massive shitload of, of pop culture that, that we have both absorbed right. over 140 collective years and from slightly different perspectives since he's just barely older than I am. And so... You don't
0: have to say that over and over again.
2: <laughs> I said barely this time instead of saying
0: monstrously. He's getting t-shirts printed up. <laughs> I have a
2: coffee mug. Um, <laughs> but it is, a, it's a case of trying to find the thing that either we haven't seen or heard or that we can use in an entirely different way than it has ever been used. Um, I wanted to write Heck Ramsey. That was what got me interested in writing Waspers. Um, okay it was 11 episodes on NBC and then it disappeared forever and ever, amen. And there were two paperback books and I've always wanted to write Heck Ramsey. But having done CSI and having some forensic background, it's like 19th century forensics were not the same thing. how can you turn turn it into a Western that people want to read? And so you start building and building and building. And again, you just keep adding another Lego brick here and there until you figure out Okay, this is what it what I want it to be when I grow up.
0: Right? Well, and the trickiest thing about the tie-ins that we've done is that they you know, you you you're, you're sort of part of the canon of the show, but you're not really able to add anything really significant. Mm-hmm. And so so there are things where if we were writing one of our own series or just a novel, we could move things forward in a way and, and and that is probably the big limitation, and we've got we got in trouble every now and then for for things.
2: CSI, CSI cut stuff off because I mean, my God, we both do this for a living. So when Grissom and Sarah start making eyes at each other, we can see where that's headed. Right before, before they did, before but when we did, did. It, well, before they acted on it for sure. But when we did that, they're like, no, no, no. Uh, There was a thing with Warwick being a a gambler. Right. And at the end of season one, they sort of dealt with that. And we had him going into a casino in what would have been conceivably season two in the book and saying, this kind of sucks because he's a gambler. Right. And they cut that out because they're like, we're done with that. And it's like, how can you be done with that? Gamblers smokers, drinkers, this drinkers. stuff doesn't just go away. You know, exactly I, I, right.
0: Because we're I inside the We're inside the characters. And
2: I'm, the I'm in law. And it, you, you don't get to just ignore that, but they did and they didn't want it in the book. So there is a, Alan, and I used to talk about the benign neglect that they treated us with at the beginning where we were allowed to do a lot more creative things with the city and different places than we were later on in the series. Well,
0: right. they would do something to us like, uh, they'd introduce a character who was very, very negative. And then we'd use that character in a negative way. You know, somebody that's a DA or somebody that they had trouble with. And then we would deliver the book and they would come to say, well, next season, he's going to be a good guy. Well, how about tell us? or of... right and, and you know so so what happened to us is uh i think what we we got to to where we maybe had a proprietary attitude toward these characters that we shouldn't have had because well, we'd written it's them hard not to how do you write how, i mean how well, could you write eight books about a bunch of characters and not feel proprietary toward them yeah and have your own vision of them too yeah
2: it it was a it was a long fruitful relationship that died just when it should have.
1: I think I, he's, yeah, I think he's right. Yeah, I because think, you know, it, you, go ahead. No, I was just going to say. I mean, there, there, there's the TV audience, but I'm sure there's also another audience that's related but somewhat separate from the people who actually watch the series and and like the books. And the books can be their own universe
2: in and of themselves. I think so. They. Well, that exactly. was, certainly was the case with Dark Angel. I mean, actually, to tell me, you got more fan mail about those than any of the other tie-in books we did, and it was only three of. them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the series died really fast. It only well, ran very,
0: It was very interesting because they, you know, when they approached me about doing it, and Matt was, and Pam, his wife, watched the show.
2: I was a big fan.
0: But I hadn't ever seen it. So I got this idea. Well, let's write. And I did this. I did this without Matt on uh the first on uh, NYPD Blue. I wrote the first episode. I wrote the episode before the pilot. The pilot. Wow. And, and then all I had to do to prepare to because they needed that book fast. Remember that, Nate? Yeah. Yeah. That was that was a brain squeeze. So I I I, I couldn't watch the whole show. I didn't have time. So I all I had to do was write the prequel to to one episode Mm -hmm. and so that so we did the first episode the you know or whatever you know the episode before the the first pilot the pre-pilot well then the show got unexpectedly canceled I mean they 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 were picked up because we wouldn't have got a contract if they hadn't been picked up I think
2: I think we had a three book deal but they never would have done the third book of the show hadn't kept going for a while so
0: Mm -hmm. they so so they had done a cliffhanger at the end of the second season and they came to us and we'd only done the this one book and they came to us and said can you resolve the cliffhanger in the book so that our fans have some closure and then so we did that and we wrote we wrote the basically so we had written sort of the first episode and then the first episode of season 3 that never happened we basically mm-hmm. wrote. and then when they came back to do the third book they said there was this overarching um story that it was a, it was something that was going it's like the fugitive something that right. was gonna resolve at the very very end and so then we resolved the series the
1: okay. whole series
0: so we wrote the beginning and the end of dark angel and so those, okay. books, those books get written read, read a lot and talked about a lot because if somebody gets into to dark angel somebody else will say well you need to go here and you need to go there to see what you know what was going on and we actually had uh, james cameron was one of the creators of that show and he and his co-writer approved what we did as like canon you know that that, that we had the way we ended his series, and so right. that was unique. That was unique. Now, sitting it, Criminal oh. Minds they really blew because Criminal Minds they basically put the same cover essentially on all three books. Oh, okay. And
2: we wanted you wanted want to match, but when it matches that much, it was like, um, which one's which?
0: Because right. I think that series would have run a long, long time, but. That was a rough one to do because that show is you know it's like it's like eight, eight profilers it was the it was the worst premise for a series. You got to find something for
2: everybody to do. Right. And then Mandy right. Patinkin lefts and leaves and all of a sudden you have Joe Montana. Um that actually happened in the middle of a book. Yes. Wow. And I was like well, I guess we'll be rewriting that now. Um, right, and so you have to find out about this whole new character and and drop it in to that novel. But it was uh, it was just such a large cast, and finding business for them all to do is was that was a challenge. That was fun.
0: Well, you have to be. I don't. I, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. You got you got to be able to be an artist but craft is just as important it, you know you you got to you got to you got to be able to go to the toolbox and and get the nails and the hammer out and the screwdriver and the screws and the, and the drill and that's a lot of it the, the sometimes design. we hammered with the
2: drill cuz that was all we had <laughs> well the, the, you know hammer and screws and it's place. not
0: it's not it's not just art it's not just art no but, it's also a
1: business as well A business Um,
0: and a craft,
1: and a craft. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, there's the 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 brick and mortar of it too. I think think
0: Chandler said that uh, art art was what happened when you were doing craft, and it just it it just happened. Sometimes, sometimes art happened while you're doing craft. But the first thing you have to do is the craft.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's definitely yeah. People gloss over that. They think, oh well, I have an idea that's good enough and Usually it isn't. It's it takes to do the hard work. Speaking of work, what new work do you both have coming out now? Matt, we'll start with you. What's what are you working on on your own, and also what are you working on with Max?
2: Uh, Max and I are between projects, so this is sort of I'm on vacation. Um, Good. I'm I'm back to working on a western that. It was the first time in my life I ever tried to write as a pantser, and I suck at it. Okay so
1: you're doing um, it so you're more of a planner.
2: planner oh my god oh my god yes uh, especially since I collaborate so much with max it is if he doesn't know what i'm doing or i don't know what he's doing right you're done so we we are very careful planners with the idea that the outline is absolutely etched in sand and <laughs> uh Al always says that if he writes 100 pages, that's when he thinks he's got a book. Um, For me, it's the first time a character does something that's not in the outline. Okay. If the character doesn't come alive for me, I can never get get that character to come alive for people. Right. So at some point, I need the character to do what they need to do as opposed to what I want them to do. And uh, that happened in the Western. It blew up the whole book. Because... Hey, pantsing. Um, so I'm I'm now I figured out how to fix it,
0: and so okay. I'm
2: go, now I have to go do some carpentry and then I can finish it. Um, I'm actually about fifty-eight thousand words in. so okay. Uh, it's not just like wow. I think I got an idea. Um, uh, I I spent a significant amount of time on this, but he and I are are looking for the next thing that we really want to play with because we're both at the point where. I really want to be interested in what I'm doing. I don't want to do stuff just to do. I don't want a hobby at this point in my life. Sure, sure. No, that makes
1: sense. And, uh, Max, I understand you've got a new Nathan Heller book.
0: I do. I just happen to have a copy of the ARC here. It's going to be a a hardcover. It's available already. It's hard to hear uh, the
2: cover, Yeah, It's It's
0: called The Big Bundle. The Big Bundle. And... uh, getting some really nice reviews on it and it's out on ebook right now and believe it or not it's uh because the publisher titan is the publisher of the hard case crime books and Mm -hmm. the hardcovers are sitting in a boat in 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 a harbor at in uh in london so uh there it's it's held up by by a strike of some kind we're supposed Mm -hmm. to get them the books supposed to be out in january but uh it is a uh, it is it is accessible now if you're an ebook reader
1: wow fantastic also
0: there's the mickey Spillane biography that i did Good. with james trailer called Spillane: king of pulp fiction and that's from mysterious press
1: great and that's available now
0: that's january Also, no excuse me it's early march it's early excuse march me, february they keep bouncing it around february yeah
1: and it's available for pre-order now of course yes right? it is
0: it's your and, and again it's getting really lovely reviews uh it's been a long time coming we've i've known jim trailer for many many years we've done two other explain oriented books we did one on explain on film a couple of years ago from mcfarland but this is a bio this is a full-scale um literary biography
1: Fantastic! I know everyone is going to be looking forward to it, just like I know everyone is has learned a lot who's listened to you both here today. And thank you for both for taking the time out of your busy schedules to uh, to do this for my audience. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank, thank, you. thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, we're fans of yours as well. Yep, that uh, was fun. You. Appreciate
2: thank it.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Um, I am Terrence McCauley, and you have been listening to another edition of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. See you next time, everybody.
0: You have been listening to Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes with host Terence McCauley on Authors on the Air Global Radio Network.